You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and you can turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to be reading from there in a number of moments. And so you can uh, have that ready to go as, as we do that. And just a reminder that um, if you... Um, didn't bring a Bible, I encourage you always to do that. If you don't have one, um, we have Bibles on the back table. You can always grab one of those on a Sunday morning and um, just be able to avail yourself of that. If you'd like to take it home with you, you just take it home with you. That is a gift to you from us for you to be able to take and to study and to read God's Word um, on a daily basis. want to encourage you to do that. Now, all of us in life kind of go along with certain convictions, and I'm not going to ask you for a verbal response here or, or kind of what, what your opinion or, or what your convictions are on this, but, but just silently where you are. As soon as I say some of these things, you're going, it's going to trigger something in your mind more than likely, and there's going to be a story behind it more than likely. And so, so just kind of wondering, we'll give you a few options here. Coke or Pepsi? Right now, some of you are saying, oh, neither. You know, it's Mountain Dew, or it's nothing. I don't eat that and drink that garbage, or whatever it might be. But, but that just conjured up something there. How about this? Um, Starbucks or Tim Hortons? Or McDonald's? Telus or Shaw? Or Rogers? Something. How about Ford or GM or Dodge or Honda? How about this one? How about iPhone or Android? Burger King or McWoofs? I mean, McDonald's. Uh, which one there? Cable? This was one from, I remember a number of years ago. Cable or satellite? Kind of, you know, what, what's your choice there? What's your preference? And each one of us, and we could go on with a whole bunch of those kind of um, options and different opportunities or preferences. And, and, and sometimes it just comes down to personal preference. Sometimes these are solid, solid convictions that we believe strongly in. And sometimes it, it's based on experiences, whether it was a good experience or a bad experience. Some people say, I'll never use that product because you know what, it went that way. Or sometimes, you know, I mean, for me, I, I mean, it, it was almost wrong as a kid growing up to, to ever, ever think we would ever drive a Ford vehicle. It was GMC all the way. That's what we drove. And now my dad drives a Dodge. So I, I don't know how that one quite worked out, you know. But as a kid, even when it comes to political parties, I remember being devastated as a young kid in our church growing up that there was a man in our church that voted for a particular political party. Even put a lawn sign up. Couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it was one that I... I I mean, how, how could you be a Christian and vote for that political party, I thought. You know, like, I mean, just how in the world could that ever happen? And, and once again, some of it was upbringing, and some of these things are based on convictions. And one of the biggest knocks oftentimes against biblical Christianity is that we can, as Christians, seem a little narrow, a little exclusive in our thinking. And, and because of that, we can oftentimes be, be looked upon as being somewhat judgmental or closed-minded. And maybe even sometimes that even looks like arrogance, that, that you folks think you have the answer, you think that your way is the only way, and, and so it can come across almost even a little proud or very proud. This sort of a controversy or an issue is nothing new. You just might think, well, that's come up just in the last number of decades as things have become more pluralistic. No, this, this controversy, this issue has been going on for centuries. 
And in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, Peter takes this issue and he hits it straight on in the way that Peter does. And he actually gets into trouble for the claims that he is making. It actually ends him and John, the other disciple that was with him, in jail for a night and then in front of a council. But just to back up a little bit, just to give us a little understanding in, in where all this, the, where we've been going over the last number of months as we've been going through the first four chapters in the book of Acts, Jerusalem is absolutely abuzz with activity, with excitement, with questions, with wondering what is going on. It's absolutely kind of crazy because there's, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of banter. I mean, people heard about the, the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, they saw him crucified. And then many of them, up to 500 people, saw him uh, alive afterwards. Then there was this period of time where it didn't seem very much was happening. And, and then these people, these followers of Christ, about 120 of them started speaking in another language right at the Feast of Pentecost. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's this new community that was starting. There, there were people meeting together in homes and in temples. And, and they had this joy and this excitement. And they were eating together, sharing meals, having potluck. They were breaking bread together. They were worshiping. They were committed to the Word. They were just devoted to this. And, and, and so there's this buzz happening and some great things are happening. And, and there's life and energy. People never experienced this before. And then in Acts chapter 3, where we were at prior to this, Peter and John, one day were heading up to the temple to go and pray. And at, at the doors outside the temple was the lame man who was lame and he was crippled. And, and he gets healed and, and, and he goes into the temple. And, and so Peter and John just decide, hey, this is a great opportunity to let loose. And they start preaching and Peter is just giving it out here. And, and it's believed they must have probably been doing a little tag teaming because they were going on for quite a little, little bit here. And so this crowd of people gathered because they're seeing the lame guy. Everybody knew that lame cripple. He had been there for 40 years. He was 40 years old and he had been healed. And now he's, he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. He's able to do something he was never able to do. And the layman is walking and, 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 and the crowd is gathered and he, I just even love it, it says he was just cling, clinging to, to Peter. He was just holding on to him. And so, so Peter just lets loose and he starts preaching and this crowd is listening and he preaches a very bold message that got him in trouble. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in, in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's powerful. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. In the ancient world, they didn't have poured concrete like we have today. They weren't able to make forms and, 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 and kind of do some fancy things like what can be done with concrete these days. And so when it came to building a, a large building and a grand building, they would, would look for the right cornerstone. And they would go through all kinds of stones to find the right one, the one that was, was a good size. They were looking for the straightest, the best, the squarest, if that's such a word. I think it is, because my computer didn't spell check that one. But they were looking for the perfect stone to put right in the corner, and everything else would be built upon that and out from that in both directions. And so the cornerstone was so important. If your cornerstone wasn't level, if it was off a little bit, if it was a little kind of just out, everything in the building you would be building would be a little bit off. But if it was square, if it was the best stone you could find, you could build something solid, you could build a grand building, and there would be, it would be a lot easier for the builders to continue to keep building on that. And Peter says to these leaders to these religious leaders there's probably 72 of them that he he and john are standing in front of and he says and you rejected you had all these stones you've had all these stones throughout the centuries you have all these different leaders and these prophets and 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 even gods of this day even and and the jesus came along and he was the perfect cornerstone and you rejected him you the builders did this you see, the cornerstone is so important. And with Jesus as the cornerstone of your life, and this is really key, and this is where we're going to park for a little while here this morning. With, Jesus as, with Christ as the cornerstone, there is salvation for all who believe. Folks, this is an amazing truth. I encourage you to write that down. With Christ as the cornerstone, there is salvation for all who believe. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here is the exclusivity, if you want to call it, of Christianity. That there are not many ways to God, just one. That's it. It's only through Jesus Christ. Believing in the finished work of Jesus. You might say, but that sounds so exclusive. What about the person who has lived a good life? What about all the good deeds that some of these people have done just because they've never confessed Jesus? It, doesn't, it means that they will not be saved? That just seems so narrow. That just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair because there's a lot of people out there who don't confess the name of Jesus who do a lot of good things a lot better and live a better life than a lot of Christians that go to church that I know of. How does that work out? How does that figure out? Well, maybe that Christian who goes to church isn't truly saved. If they're not living the life that, that, that God's Word calls us to live, there may be some issues there. We don't know. And listen, all religious claims 
Think about this. All religious claims are exclusive. They are. Even for those who just think it's open-ended. As long as you're sincere, as long as you do good, you all make it in the end. But whose standard of good are you following? Pedophiles? People who are criminals, murderers, do they count? Well, everyone's going to have a cutoff point at some point in there. There's exclusivity kind of works its way in. And everyone has a standard of who's in and who's not. Everyone has a line. And today, just like in the days, centuries ago, we live in a pluralistic society. Believe what you want. Just don't be too fanatical about it. Don't tell other people they might be wrong. Especially in Canada, we don't want to offend. I mean, one of, I, when you spend any time in the States, they're amazed at how often we apologize and say sorry. You know, and, and we're just nice. Oftentimes nicer than people perhaps from other countries. Sometimes not. Sometimes we're absolutely nasty. At least I know of some Canadians that can be like that, and uh, me being one of them at times. But, um, but I, I, I mean, we don't want to offend. We, you know, just believe what you want. Just don't be too fanatical about it. Is that what Peter and John were doing? Are you kidding? They were very loud about it. They were very forthright, declaring in the temple that Jesus is the only way. There's only one name. There's only one person by which you can be saved. And part of it was back then that you could basically believe whatever you wanted. In fact, the Romans kind of perfected this pluralistic society. They had a pretty good handle on it. And back in the day, this was called the, the Pax Roma, if you, if you want the technical name for it, or the Peace of Rome. And basically, the Roman government, the Caesar, was over all things and basically kind of gave everyone the opportunity to believe whatever you want, have whatever gods you want. And they had thousands of gods. When Paul was in Athens, you read in, in, in the book of Acts, there were all kinds of gods that were in, in Athens that people were worshiping and idols that they were worshiping. And, and they even had an unknown god, the, the idol of a, or the unknown god, just in case they were missing anyone. And, and so, very pluralistic, many different gods. And basically, it was believe whatever you want, just don't say that your god is superior. Because even for the Romans, they had one who was superior. And it was in the Pantheon in Rome, amidst all the other idols. Up above, there was an emblem of Caesar. And there it would say, Caesar is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you heard that before? Mm-hmm. Caesar, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. As long as you all get that straight, you can believe whatever God you want. Caesar is the one who is superior. He is the God. See, even they had a certain line. Believe whatever you want. Believe, though, in the end that it's Caesar is the king of kings. And so Caesar, for them, all roads lead to him. All roads lead to Rome, even, was a statement in there. And so everything, we're going to get along just fine as long as you remember this. And so that was the peace of Rome, the Pax Roma. Peter and John are not in trouble because they hold to a nice little private faith about Jesus. They're in trouble because they're bold. Because they're sharing their faith. They're living it out. They're in trouble and even on trial telling people, you're dead wrong. You're the one that crucified Jesus. You rejected the cornerstone. That was Jesus. You did this. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the name by which you can be saved. And He is the one that one day you will be accountable for. And you will be accountable to in what you have done with Him. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is a different kind of exclusivity. Listen to this. Tim Keller, just great statement here. He says, Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity that there is. Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity that there is. The Bible teaches that, that God's acceptance of us is not based on anything about us. It's not our heritage. It's not our church attendance. It's not our education. It's not our good works. God gives salvation to all. It's very inclusive. It is for all who repent and receive Jesus, who believe on His name. The words of the old hymn just came to mind this past week. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. That's a reason to praise the Lord, isn't it? The vilest offender. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. And the Gospel reminds us that the world is broken. Just watch the news. It gets so discouraging. Nate and I last night, we watched a little W5. Some faith healer up in northern Quebec who would just do the most disgusting things to try to heal people involved a lot of touching and doing it all in the name of Jesus. And you just think, oh man, the name that he's given because he didn't call himself a doctor, he called himself a faith healer, he called himself a Christian, and he just, oh, it's so messed up. This world is so broken, it's so mixed up. You walk the shopping malls, the streets, you see brokenness. Society even admits that we're broken. The, the CFO of Google was interviewed by a number of newspapers and he even stated the fact, he says, the world as we know it is broken. And you know what his answer is for it to be fixed? Technology. He figures that technology can fix the brokenness in our world. It can't. There's only one person who can do this. And the story of the Bible is that God invaded this world. He came into this world. He came into the brokenness to restore it. God Himself became broken. He became broken for you and for me so that we could be pieced back together, so we could be healed, so we could be fixed. That's why Peter is saying there is no other name. Salvation can be found in no one else other than Jesus. The story of the lame man that we looked at back in chapter 3, that's a story of you and me before Christ. If you're in Christ today, you're the story of the lame man in the temple. Before Christ in your life, you were like the lame man outside the temple, born in sin. We are. He was born crippled. He wasn't allowed to go into the temple because of Leviticus 16. It, it says there that the, no lame, no blind, no crippled person could go into the temple because that represented the presence of God. And he, could, he couldn't go in there. But where is he standing? Where is he standing in Acts 4? In the temple. Why? Because he's been healed. And you and I cannot enter into the presence of God when we are in sin, when we are outside of Christ, but when we are in Christ, when we receive Him, when we accept the, the work of salvation of the cross of what He's done for us, we are in the presence of God. We are moved in there. And look at the layman. What's he doing? He's walking. He's leaping. He's praising God. Folks, if we're in Christ, it should show in our lives. There should be a joy and a happiness that, that we have been saved. That we have been transformed. We are being changed. We are like that lame man for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, 
It causes us to be outside the presence of God, and because of Jesus, we can go into His holy presence. He is a picture of a soul that has been set free. And in the name of Jesus, we are saved. And we can enjoy that same presence and the fellowship that comes through Christ. We once were blind and now we see. We were guilty and we've been pardoned. We were sinners and our sins were scarlet and become as white as snow. We were dead and we've been made alive. And when you believe this, when you receive this, it changes you, it transforms you day by day by day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we must proclaim it. Not with arrogance. Not like we've got it all together because none of us do have it all together. But in humility, we are blown away that God would save, that He would pardon someone like me and like you. We all struggle. But we need to preach this message just like Peter and John were proclaiming this message. But you know where that preaching starts? You know where we start preaching the gospel? I had to grab this from the drama room to just help understand. You know where we have to start preaching the gospel? Right here. To ourselves every day. We preach. We stand in front of the mirror if we need to. And we are reminded as we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, oh boy, that's, that, that's nasty. But we remind ourselves of the Gospel of what Christ has done. That we are people who are full of pride and arrogance and, and we are, are sinful. That within us there is still rebellion and lust and greed and we can sometimes be a little judgmental or a little gossipy and we're filled with fear. We have anger issues. You say, Meldon, you're describing me. You're describing me to a T because yeah, I struggle with those things. We all stumble in many ways. Various ways, different ways for each one of us. You might say, well, I, I don't struggle. Yes, you do. You're struggling right now with being self-righteous and a liar. Because we all struggle. We all, I, I like one of the way one of my dear friends say, says it, he says, we're all in recovery or else we're in denial. And it's so true. And we try to hide it. We try to cover it. We, we can, at times though, in our heart of hearts, we feel the weight and the discouragement of maybe even sometimes the embarrassment of our struggle with sin and our lack of victory and, 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 and we're so discouraged on the inside and on the inside, we're saying, help! I can't do this! And so then we get onto what I call the religious treadmill. We just start thinking, well, if I do some good stuff, if I just get busy, if I do some good things that will counterbalance the bad stuff and, and, and I'll start feeling a little bit better. And, and it's like you get on a treadmill and, and a treadmill is a good thing for exercise, but you're not getting anywhere, are you? You just get on there and you start running and you can make it go faster and you're still not getting anywhere. You're not getting any further. Well, if you would, it might be the wall that you might be running into or, or whatever it might be. But we do that and we think, well, you know, if I just, if I just read my Bible every day, stick to that reading plan, I read two chapters a day, it'll kind of get me in with the, the big guy. And, you know, I'll, I'll maybe have a better day. If, if I just do that, and, and, and he'll make life for me go a little bit smoother and, and, and a little bit easier. Or, or you know what, I'll, I'll fill some shoe boxes. I, I really like doing that at Christmas. It really makes me feel good to, 
to, to fill some shoeboxes and, and send them, I'll sponsor a child. That's a good thing. I can do that all throughout the year. And, you know, I'll get involved. I'll, I'll serve, you know, in the church. I'll show up at 7 o'clock to help with unlock frozen locks. I'll, I'll work in Harvest Kids. I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer in my community. I'll go down and, and help with the gospel mission. I'll, I'll do these things because it kind of fills that void and I feel a little bit better. And, and there's nothing wrong with those kind of things. But, but if we're doing it to try to get some spiritual traction and, and just to get feeling better about ourselves and because none of those things that you do, whether you're reading the Bible, whether you're serving for hours and hours in a church or, or a parachurch organization and trying to live a good life and give to the poor, every time you see someone, you've got some change for them and you kind of make you feel a little bit better. None of that changes your standing before God. None of it does. The work has already been done. It's been done. All we need to do is repent and confess of our sins and walk in that freedom and victory, finding and receiving His grace and mercy and forgiveness every day as we preach the gospel to ourselves, as we're reminded that we're that struggling sinner. But Christ is enough. That Christ has redeemed. He has forgiven me. I say, I'm trying to do that, but I'm still struggling. You know what? That's where we need the body of Christ. That's where we need the Word of God in our lives. But that's where we need Christians, brothers and sisters to walk with us. That's why in the new year as we get small groups going, that, that becomes a very practical way to live out the Christian life with one another. Have others who are walking along with you in areas holding you accountable. Sometimes it's a hug and sometimes it's turn around and a hoof. A hug or a hoof. Sometimes I need both at times from the same person. I need that kind of thing in my life. And sometimes that hoof can hurt. And yet, we know that we are to walk with one another. And as we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, and then we can go out and we do certain things. You see, faith alone, faith alone is what saves us, but saving faith is not alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is clear on that. We don't serve, we don't fill boxes, we don't sponsor a child, we don't do these different things to get something. We do it because we've received something, because Christ has done that work in us. And we don't do it because we have to, we do it because we want to, we get to do it. What an opportunity. And so with Christ as the cornerstone in our life, there is salvation for all who believe. Do you believe this? Do you believe in the message of the gospel. Are you preaching it to yourself every day? We think, oh, I got saved back when I was six years old. That was good. And I'm not talking about getting resaved every day. It's just remembering. It's coming to the foot of the cross in confession and repentance and, and just asking God to do that new work in our life. Because, and, and so if that is the basis, if that is the starting point, that, that with Christ at the, at the cornerstone, there is salvation. That moves us into, then there is strength to triumph and endure opposition. Strength to triumphantly endure opposition. That's our second point here um, this morning. There is no such thing as uncontested spiritual ground. Okay? That is a reality. The moment you say yes to following Jesus in a particular area, whether it's 
as first time, whether it's in the area of baptism, whether it's in the area of serving God, whether it's in the area of your finances, you say, I want to start serving God and, and, and honoring God when it comes to my finances. I'm ready to, to honor God and to do business above board, not like everyone else and do a lot of the stuff under the table or cheat the tax man or do these different things. I'm going to do it above board. I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to lead my family spiritually. I'm going to get involved in a certain area of ministry. Expect opposition the very moment that you start to get involved in, in, in following God in, in an all-out way and you get serious about it, you can expect the opposition to, to attack. And the enemy is out to discourage, to discredit, to destroy, and opposition will come from various forms. Look at for, for Peter and John. First of all, the opposition came from the outside. The religious leaders. These guys should have been ones that were excited about what was happening. The Sadducees and... They, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah long ago. They already thought they were in the Messianic age and, and were no longer looking for a Messiah. And, and they totally rejected, totally rejected the resurrection. They couldn't, they couldn't re reject the crucifixion. No one could do that. But when it comes to the resurrection, and even to this day, people do not deny the historicity of Christ or the crucifixion, but they will try to throw all kinds of crazy stories or, or different explanations as to the resurrection because the resurrection changes everything. And these Sadducees, they were very sad, you see. I have to just share that again. I mean, 20 years in ministry has, has allowed me to, to uh, come across something like that. And, and, and their lives, they were just so, I mean, th these guys were just downers. I mean, they weren't excited that other people were experiencing grace mercy, forgiveness, healing. And so they throw Peter and John into jail for the night because they couldn't get everyone together and hold the trial that night. And so they throw them into jail and they gather the chief priests and the scribes. They had the guys there to write everything down. You know, always have some of those in the crowd. Got to write everything down. Got to document it. Had the, the, the former chief priest and the current high, um, high chief priest and his family and, and all of these people. They figured there's at least 72 of them there. And they wanted their power. And these Peter and John, these disciples, and all this activity that's happening in the book of, of Acts is just really disturbing them, really starting to bother them. They were becoming a threat to their nice little life. Kind of making them feel a little, little awkward. They're losing their authority, losing their control. 2 Timothy 3.12, write that down. 2 Timothy 3.12. Anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. You want to live for God, you will face persecution. You want to do it at the workplace, you want to do it in your school, you want to do it in your dorm, you want to do it in your neighborhood, the persecution will come. Sooner or later, it will come in many different forms, and sometimes it's from the outward, even from the religious. Even from religious people, we can face opposition. We can be betrayed. Look at Jesus. Happened to him. Even from our own families, it can happen. We want to get living serious for the Lord and, and, and we want to take steps that way. And even though maybe family members are Christians, they go to church, but they can sometimes become a negative influence in our life because maybe it's making them feel a little uncomfortable, making them feel a little guilty. So they're going to try to just poke and, 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 and try to, you know, just, just discourage the work that's happening. All through the centuries, persecution has happened in opposition has happened. And you know what it has done? It has led to a further expansion of the gospel. You look at it in the book of Acts, the persecution starts, what happens? It just starts moving out from Jerusalem. Persecution started in Jerusalem, it starts moving out. It starts spreading like a wildfire. 
in China. I love it. I love the stories that continue to emerge from there. I mean, and, and this was such a meaningful thing for me. It was a number of years ago when, 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 when I heard that this reality is when communism was moving into, into China and they, they were rounding up pastors and some of them were being killed and some of them were being thrown in jail and they were going through trials and telling people, don't you dare believe what these people are telling you. And so some of them, they thought, we're going to really humiliate them. We're going to turn them into garbage men. And, and because for them, that was the lowest job that you could do. That was the lowest job, job on the totem pole. Now, I think with those trucks they drive around and they're all computerized and all that stuff, it'd be half kind of cool. Could get a little stinky in the summer. But, um, but in China, they turned them into garbage men. You know what? Totally backfired because you took pastors going door to door, basically sharing the gospel as they're dumping out the garbage. Little garbage out, here's some gospel for you. And they credit that in part to being part of the reason why the underground church, while communism was taken over above ground, the underground church started to grow and expand and become what it has become today. And it's become a major movement in the midst of opposition and persecution. Maybe Canada, maybe we need some more persecution here. I don't hope for it. I don't want it because I want a nice, easy, comfortable life. But when opposition starts to happen and we are trusting the Lord and we're running to Him, it's kind of like blowing. You know when you have that little campfire going and it's at that very dangerous kind of, you know, it, it's almost going out and you put some more kindling and you put some, you know, it's some, some wood around there and then what do you do? You start blowing on it. You give a little air and when that happens, poof, it starts to get going. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But the same thing happens in our own life. When we, in, when we face opposition, we can either allow the, the Holy Spirit to, to, to lean into what he's going to do, and he's going to use that. Or we can just run and just become discouraged and just curl up in a ball, suck our thumb, and just think, oh, I'm done. No, we, we persevere through that. But there's outward opposition that can come in various forms, but then there's inward opposition. And I'm sure for Peter... He faced a lot of inward kind of thoughts in his mind. I mean, doesn't the enemy love to attack us in our minds? You're a loser. God doesn't love you. Won't forgive that. Not what you've done. Mm -mm -mm. Not going to happen. Revelation 12 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He likes to accuse us of sins that are already under the blood. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin that we have not confessed that are not under the blood of Christ. But once we have confessed that sin, and we've given it to God, we are forgiven. We're set free. But the enemy loves to come and say, no, you're not. No, you're not. Why are you still struggling? Why are you still having those issues? You're not saved. Not saved, not after what you've done. There's no way that he could ever save you. What do you do? You preach the gospel to yourself. This is where you get in there and you remember what Christ has done and you proclaim it, that Christ is enough. That Jesus died so I could be free and I could be forgiven. That's what we preach. Jesus died in my place. You cannot tell me that Peter, standing up in front of the crowds of people that he started to stand up in front of, was not just a little self-conscious. It wasn't, I mean, he was bold on the exterior, but I'm sure the attack was happening in a major way in his mind, standing before the crowds like he did, numbering in the thousands, knowing that some of the people in the crowd could remember. That's a, that's a guy. He denied. He denied even knowing Jesus the night that he was betrayed. And maybe even Peter for, for himself, it wasn't even in the crowd, it was in his own mind just thinking, oh my 
remember, remember when I was walking on the water and it's really cool and then all of a sudden I, I started to sink and, you know, because I took my eyes off Jesus and I started trusting and, you know, getting afraid and allowing fear to set in. I started to sink and, and Jesus saved me once again. And w- what if in the middle of my sermon, in my preaching or when I'm on trial, what if, what if all of a sudden I just have a meltdown and, and, and what if I get my eyes off Jesus? What if it happens to me again? I'm sure those thoughts were going through his head just as those kind of thoughts can go through our head. The inward attacks of the enemy. And you know one of the worst times that he loves to do it and he has the biggest heyday in many of our lives? It's at night. The pestilence that comes at night. The accuser of the brethren causes the fear to be anxious. Maybe for you, maybe it's not at night. Maybe you're out like a log and, and, and you're just gone, but during the day you're just a basket case of fear or, or a failure going on in your mind. You can be set free through the gospel. Through what Christ has done. And so Peter prevailed because Christ was the cornerstone of his life. He was able to have strength to triumph through and over the opposition. And listen to 1 John, starting in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to this. But if we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all. Can you guys say that with me? All. He purifies us from what? All sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So if you're sitting here and saying, I don't struggle, I don't struggle like everyone else, you're, you're deceiving yourself. Because we all do. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. As a believer in Christ, we admit we struggle. That's part of, part of our faith. That's part of where it's at. But if we, in verse 9, this is golden, this is golden, go to the bank on this. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from what? All unrighteousness. That's living the gospel. So if we walk in the light, if we walk in truth, if we walk in the truth of Jesus as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You and I have fellowship if we walk in these truths knowing that we struggle, we fail, we fall, we get back up, we preach the gospel to ourselves, we have others who walk with us along the way. It says, it, it says then we have fellowship with one another. That's true Christian fellowship. That's what was happening in the book of Acts here. These people were, were, were fellowshipping together in this way around the broken bread and worship of Jesus and, and they were gathering together and in in, in studying the word of God together. And so with Christ as a cornerstone, we have strength to triumph opposition, but then we also have boldness to declare the truth. In verse 8, love this verse, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's how he was able to stand up. He wasn't, this wasn't old Peter anymore. This was Peter filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what Jesus had promised. Listen to this in Luke 12, 11 and 12. This is Jesus' promises. And I'm sure there was a part where, where Peter was like, well, this is what Jesus told us earlier, and now it's happening. Cool. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, and Peter's probably going ding, 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 as he has that night in jail, I, I'm not going to come up with the end. Look what he says. Don't be anxious about how you shall defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Peter was able to stand and speak with boldness, not on his own power and strength, but because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And this filling didn't come through some powerful emotional experience that he got all pumped up and kind of, you know what, I feel the power, I feel the power. And he just started kind of, okay, 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 you know, pumping up, you know, like an inner tube or something like that. And just like, okay, 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 I got enough here, you know, or like a balloon that, that you're going to blow up, you know, that's not the kind of filling he was talking about. This was a filling of the Holy Spirit in his life that happened to him, can happen in our life when we walk in obedience and dependency on God in the Word through his Holy Spirit. Keeping those short accounts, preaching the gospel to ourselves, yielding ourselves as dependent on him and saying, Lord, fill me. Fill me every day because you know what? I leak. Got that slow leak that, that just continues to keep just kind of out of us. He empowers us to speak, to give us boldness, to declare the truth. This week I was talking with a guy and, and uh, he was uh, not drilling me, but he, he was asking me some pretty hard and kind of pointed questions and, and, and I found myself doing that kind of that little gulp. And then he asked me one question. I mean, it seemed to be going all right. And then he asked me one question and, and it was, oh, and I just like, Lord, need some help here. And the next two sentences were just golden. I mean, and, and I can't say, wow, Melvin, that, that was something. It was, that was the Holy Spirit who gave me the right words to say to that guy. And, and, and when, when I said those words and I was expecting some kickback, he, oh. And he just saw, that makes sense. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't study the Word and, and we just think, okay, you know, I'm just going to go through life and, okay, hit me, Holy Spirit, I need some help here, you, you know, to share my faith. No, that's where we study the Word, we get to know it, we, we, we understand it, and, and the Holy Spirit reminds us of these things, and sometimes He's going to give us those fresh truths that we didn't even know were even in our minds, but that's why we're students of the Word and we get into the Word. But with Christ as the cornerstone, we have boldness to declare the truth of God's Word. And finally, we have urgency in our mission with Christ as the cornerstone. In verse 4, I love this in here. It's so powerful when you read. We see that because of Pentecost, how many believed on that day? It says about 3,000 believed. And now it says that this number of men that they had counted after this miracle and after Peter preached was now about 5,000 back then. They would do a head count and they would often just count the head of households. I think it was probably hey, the dudes with the beards, count them. Um, you know, th that's the way that you kind of, you know, just a way that they could kind of um, take, take uh, attendance at something. And, and so they counted the heads of households. So now think about this. I'm not really good at math, so, so some of you might need to help me in this. So you have, have 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and now it says it's about 5,000 men. And so let's say, I mean, and families were big then, but let's just take a conservative guess that um, there was just four people in each family. So you take what is that, 5,000, and you multiply that by four, gives you what? 19, no, 20,000, okay, there we go. Um, there's a line from Corner Gas, some of you might have remembered, but um, anyways, you have all of a sudden 20,000 people. Yes, not everyone was living in Jerusalem. Some of them were there for the day of Pentecost and went out, but many of these people were in Jerusalem. You know what the population of, uh, of Jerusalem was about that time? It was about 40,000 people. So you have on a conservative number, 20,000 people confessing Christ, getting baptized, people who were devoted to the word and to one another and experiencing this life. I mean, something was happening in a mighty and a powerful way. 
It starts to shake up a city. It starts to shake up a region. It shakes up a country. And it started to shake the world. And it just continued to spread out from there. Not only were these people convinced, but they experienced in their own lives the transformation of Christ. They believed that Christ was the cornerstone and is the cornerstone that they can build their lives on. And we can too today. They just had to share it. That's how you start a movement, with urgency. You gotta know, you gotta hear, you gotta see what God is doing. You gotta be part of it. Be part of the movement with God. We're so bashful and sometimes we don't wanna be offensive. You know what, hell is, is hot. It is forever. And people who don't know Christ are heading there. And we have been put on a mission with some urgency to tell people about Christ. It's about being a fully devo devoted follower of Christ and, and one of the great ways to describe a disciple, if you want to know what a disciple of Christ is, is a follower of Christ, someone who worships Christ, who walks with Christ, and works for Christ. We worship Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That it is his name that we are saved. And we are people that walk with Christ in, in, in the word of God with one another in prayer, and we're developing that relationship. And then we get out there and we work for Christ. It's living every day in our life with Christ as the cornerstone. And you know what? Some days we're going to have bad days. Any of you have a bad day this week where nothing seemed to go right? Come on, your church. Raise your hand. Yeah, maybe I had a bad day. Um, how many of you will have a bad day this week? Well, let's, let's not be really negative here. But, but it might happen. just might happen. But with Christ at the cornerstone of our life, there's strength. There's stability. There's power. And we can build our lives on that. We're devoted to his word. Hudson Taylor is the one of the very first missionaries from England that went to China. And sometimes he would return back to England and he would go to the large churches filled with thousands of people who would be singing. And, and he was said to oftentimes get up and walk out of the worship services, even though it was powerful and the singing in these great cathedrals. And, and it was just so amazing and such a beautiful, beautiful sounding. They just couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand being in the service with thousands of English folks that were raising their voices to God in worship. He couldn't stand it because he was so burdened. He was burdened, burdened by the millions of people in China who never heard the gospel. And he made this statement, would that God would make hell so real to the church that we cannot rest? Would God make hell so real to the church, to you and to me, that we cannot rest? That with Christ as the cornerstone, there is salvation for all. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other name. There's strength to endure the opposition and the struggle that you will face. Anyone that lives a godly life will be persecuted. There's going to be boldness from the Holy Spirit to declare the truth. Boldness and power that is not from you, but from Him. And then there's going to be urgency in the mission. You say, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. You know what biggest thing is? Be available. Be available to God. Be available to serve Him. Say yes to Him in the areas that He's calling you to be a part of. Say yes to Him. I remember um, back in 1996, we moved to this little town just outside of Edmonton. We had the privilege of being there for 14 years. And, and in our first few months, in our first year there, it seemed like the church just kind of fell apart. Some Sundays we had less than 30 people there. And at times I thought maybe the church doors were absolutely just going to close because it, there was just a lot of stuff that was going on. Remember, we didn't have kids yet, and, and even we were followed around town. We were kind of being stalked and some terrible notes being left 
our way and phone calls that would come from people who had left the church, religious people that kind of wanted to come and have their say. And, and I mean, it was just a, a very, very difficult time. And, and so oftentimes we just said, Lord, we don't know what to do. And that was our prayer, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When we moved to that town, the schools had such a bad reputation, and, and, and we thought, by the time we have kids in their school age, we're out of here. I mean, we're not sticking around here. This just isn't our kind of town. This just isn't what, you know, I, where we want to be raising our kids. Fourteen years later, when we sensed God calling us here, one of the biggest reasons we didn't want to leave is because the schools had been transformed. Why? Because of the power of the gospel, because of, of, of parents, especially mothers, who were praying women, who... Who, who saw and, and were a part of seeing incredible change happen within those schools. The community started to change. When you have almost 10% of your community coming to church on a Sunday morning, that starts to send a message to the community that God's alive and he's doing a work. But it took a lot of work. And I can look back and say, oh, those 14 years were the glory years. No, they were tough. There were so many times we wanted to pack and there were so many times that we just wanted to, I mean, there was you know, it's just different things, politics, different things that would happen. There was attacks that, that I faced, the inward attacks in my own life and, 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 and was able to prevail through the word of God, through people standing with us, loving, building a church on a foundation of prayer. Basically, we were building a church based on the four pillars that Harvest has, proclaiming God's word with authority and not just proclaiming it out there, proclaiming it here in my own life, that he needs to do that work that he may, that I may decrease and he may increase. That we would pray, stop, drop, and pray whenever we could. We learned some terrible lessons at times. What happens when we don't pray and trust God and we trust our own power and our strength? We wanted to lift high the name of Jesus in worship. And then we have an urgency in our message to get it out there. Folks, let's do that. We can be part of that here and see the transformation in a city. I believe this Acts 4 passage, and as we get to the end of it um, next week, and even as we've been looking at the first three chapters, I believe what God did there, He can do today. He's willing to do it. He's desirous to do it. But it starts with Him, with you and I putting Christ at the center, the cornerstone of our life, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, allowing Him to do that new and that refreshing work in us. Let's pray. Father, we need You. We need you in our lives. And when that happens, there is power. There is strength. That starts with putting you at the cornerstone, at the center, and building out from there and help us to do that. If there's someone who is here today that has never put that, put you in the cornerstone position of their life, may they do that today by receiving you as their Lord and Savior. We'd love to pray with them after. There's some that are discouraged today because of opposition, whether it's in their head or outside opposition that they're facing. May there be strength. It comes from the Word of God, the body of Christ. From their power of the Holy Spirit in their lives to, to stand strong. There would be boldness in each one of us to declare the truth and our urgency in our mission, to tell others the best news ever. And Lord, with that, we leave the results to you. In your time and in your way, you will work in a mighty way. And Lord, we, we want to be part of that mission. That's what you call us to be a part of. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. It'll be very worth it. So Lord, I pray that we would worship King of kings and the Lord of lords who 
It's the only name. It's the name of Jesus that we can be saved and continue to be saved from our sin and our struggle and our trials and our temptations. It's at the name of Jesus. And so we declare you today the cornerstone once again. Let's worship together. Let's stand.